0: Welcome to another episode of Urban Life Enabled, Hub's podcast for sharing news, views, and stories about connecting, activating, and measuring urban life in our public places and spaces. My name is Adam Beck, and I'll be with you for the next little while as we unpack another topic relevant to enabling urban life. So let's go. In this episode of the Urban Life Enabled podcast, we chat with Byrne Grush, who is executive director of the Urban Robotics Foundation based out of Toronto, Canada. Byrne has over 40 years of extensive experience relating to software development in geographic information systems and also road congestion pricing. More recently, he's been spending time also as an author, writing a research book, and he continues to advise globally around the deployment and regulation of public area mobile robots. This episode is part of our ongoing Street Lab series. We hope you enjoy it. Bern, thanks so much for joining us on the Urban Life Enable podcast. Public area mobile robots, some would think that I'm crazy wanting to have this conversation in 2023, given that nothing's happened to date. I'd like to firstly start, if I may, I'd like to talk a little bit about your career if I can and I know I'm I know I'm sort of springing that one on you. So when I go through your profile I see what do I see I see I see GIS, I see software um, I see um, you know road user charging kind of systems um, and that kind of seemed pretty you know normal And then there's this moment in your profile that seemed to be, there was about nine years in there of you writing and it had something to do about sort of mobility and, you know, um, sort of the end of driving. And I thought, hang on, this is is interesting. And then after that comes this career and interest around autonomy and so on and so forth. And now, of course, the Urban Robotics Foundation. Can you sort of give me a snapshot of the end of driving? Was that... Was that some sort of turning point or what happened there?
1: Well, so first of all, thanks for having me on your program. Um, So the end of driving is kind of recent that started in 2016 or 2015. Uh, I had a a couple of short contracts with an organization here in Toronto that was uh, asking for some short reports, you know, one of these sort of 20 page white paper reports. So what what is this? What's going to happen with these automated? And. Uh, vehicles and so on and so i i did a couple of those for that organization and i realized that there was a, there was a book underneath all of this and with a colleague that i've known for a long time a fellow named john niles we wrote a book called the end of driving and it was what was odd about this is it wasn't about how cool the technology was because i'm not impressed by the technology by the way mm-hmm. it's it is impressive but that's not why i did it what 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 the whole work was is how could we organize ourselves? How could we organize our cities and our transportation systems? How can we organize our public transit systems? How can we organize our uh, use of vehicles so that we could, we we could all get to all the places we want to, we can have all the automotive traffic and all, all, all the automotive travel that we would like, but we wouldn't have to own vehicles as a, as a, as a side point. Once you own a vehicle, if you have a vehicle in your driveway or in front, of you know, in your garage, then the likelihood that you will use it, that you will choose to use it is very high. If you don't own a vehicle, if you have to order a taxi or order an Uber or you have to arrange to rent one and so on, well, then you're more likely to use another mode. You'll you'll take transit, you'll take your bike and so on. So the point of that work was how could we organize ourselves to have all the automotive travel that we need without owning a vehicle because that would reduce congestion and so forth so that was that was where that project came from and uh that project is actually in its second edition and we're struggling now because there was a lot of things that we i don't think we got right Back in mm-hmm. 2017 and eighteen, I think there were, there were not, they're not errors. They're just, we were naive. We understood from all the hype that automated vehicles were going to be here in a few years. They yeah, were going to just be yeah. three or four years. <laughs> well, we th- we knew it wasn't going to be three or four years. We figured it would be 10 years.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: now, now we think John Miles and I, uh, and uh, we have a third author with us, Andrew Miller is working with us as well. We now don't think it's going to be three or four years. We think it's going to be longer and slower. And th- anyway, that we're not sure. So we are struggling with how to how to say, we know this is the direction things are going in, but we can't possibly tell you how fast it's going to be. Yeah. Because the answer is, well, why would I read your book if you don't know when this is going to happen?
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: It's, a, it's a struggle. Yeah. So we don't know going to happen and we don't we don't think it's going to be very smooth we there's a there's something called um mixed driving in which we have a world with a high percentage you know whether it's 20 or 30 or 40 percent of vehicles that are automated and the other the other 80 or 70 or 60 percent is not automated so we, you have a, a mixed driving environment so people say oh we'll have separate lanes well that's a trillion dollar exp- multi-trillion dollar expense to have you know, separate lanes everywhere. So that's not going to work. Uh, we don't think. And so uh, the whole, the, you know, the whole issue of understanding how this is going to unfold is really, it, it's it's really complicated and almost troubling actually how this is going to unfold. Anyway, that's the, that's the, that's the work on, the, that's the end of driving book.
2: That,
0: yeah. That yeah. We... So <sighs> yeah okay let, let, let's talk robots so uh, there's this there's this is acronym um pmr public area mobile robot yeah. what what is this and are you are you insane
1: so, <laughs> so um it it started out to be just mobile robots and you know automated mobile robots autonomous mob- there's lots of you know, industrial mobile robots. There's there's multiple kinds of mobile robots that are categorized for various reasons, and after a long struggle, the the word public area mobile robot has been chosen for for two reasons. First of all, there's a there's a series of industrial mobile robots, automated mobile robots, public mobile. So it fits in that series of, of AMR, PMR, IMRs. But it, there's a very specific definition of a mobile robot that is in In a work task circumstance that involves non-involved humans, so while the robots are doing whatever they're doing, they they are sweeping the floor in the hospital, or Mm -hmm. they are they are guiding a tourist on a on a on a in an amusement area, or they are carrying pizza to students. It doesn't matter what they're doing, but when they're doing it, they are surrounded by, or they're passing by inattentive uninvolved unprotected and untrained humans unlike on a farm if you were a farm worker using a robot or you were a uh, a a police officer using a police robot you were trained to use that robot yeah yep. and so that's not what we're talking about we are talking about robots that are in these are these are humans that are you un- I mean you're out walking your dog yeah and you're not—you couldn't care less about them. You don't mind them, but that, yeah. you're not involved. Yeah. And you know, so we're worried about how do you and your dog get get past the, the? How's the robot past you? For example, I mean, here's an extreme circumstance. This has never happened, but it's one of the things that we're concerned about when you when you're walking an animal is that how do we ensure that the robot is behaving in such a way as not to get its wheels entangled with the leash of your animal? Yeah. And there's nothing that there's nothing sort of built into these systems to make sure that that doesn't happen, other than having the robot systems be aware of that possibility, and not to go in between an animal and its human. For example, I just give that as a, as an example yeah. of an unexpected, like a, an unintended outcome that's possible. Yeah. And so that's that's among the many things that we're concerned about. But anyway, it's the the, the public area is is re, is really about the unprotected human.
2: yeah yeah
1: let me let, let me make it worse you're on a pavement a sidewalk or pavement and you have pedestrians so there's one in a wheelchair there's one that's blind uh then there's a bicycle there as well and there's somebody on a skateboard and and so on so you start you start to imagine spaces with a lot of different kinds of modes in in those spaces and let's add robots to that there's huge values for these robots but it's all that Uninvolved uh, modes and and people. That's that's the concern. And to make it even worse yet, many of those pedestrians are walking, looking at their cell phones,
2: mm. Mm. and
1: so that you know that adds yet more uncertainty, uh, uh, potential confusion. So all of that together is why we are concerned about the behavior of these robots. What are the what are the robots aware of? How do they behave? How do they make way for other uh, other uh, users of the of the pavement and so forth? And, I mean, that's just one. I mean, there's sixteen parts that we're yeah. working on. Yeah. So there's sixteen parts altogether, but that's one. Just just how do these behave is one of the is one of the elements.
0: Yeah, uh, Burn, There's going to be people thinking, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Just hang on a moment. Um, robots on sidewalks you know, it's 2023, calm down. So um, why would there be a robot? Why do we think they may come about? What's their purpose? Let's talk about the why for a moment. And let me just say, in 2018, I was at a conference in Portland, Oregon, Urbanism Next, run by the University of Oregon, and a fantastic conference. And so I think it was March it would have been March 2018. That's where I first saw an e-scooter. Lime e-scooters were on display. And beside it was, I'm going to get the company, the vendor name wrong, correct me, but Starship something. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, That the full name of that company is called Starship Technologies.
0: Yeah. So there was literally an Esky with six wheels on it with a, with a little flagpole on it. Um, yep being sort of showcased as, you know, the, the future of sort of last mile mobility and delivery and things like that. And I looked at the e-scooter, I looked at the the robot and I thought, yeah, I, I can see the e-scooter happening. This robot thing's never going to happen. But um, to my surprise, and I follow the KiwiBot sort of folks a lot, um, the, the public area mobile robot thing has not gone away. It's sort of still out there. So it's proven me wrong in my head. I thought this was just going to be sort of, you know, some technology driven fad. But, um, there, there, there seems to be a why. And I think probably the e-commerce growth in the background among many things has sort of, you know, convinced us that, hang on, we gotta, we gotta sort of keep our eye on this, but how, how would you describe the why when it comes to public area, mobile robots?
1: there's a couple of why's so you know why did starship build the robot that that, that's a that's a technology play that they they expect to do well they expect to have enough business they expect to uh, to to uh end up with a with a significant market and by the way of all the players so far in the delivery side uh they are probably the leader i mean they it, it looks like they're the leader and i have no evidence that they're not the leader in terms of how many devices and so on uh so that's you know that's one one now there's another why is why would a city permit them yeah or or there's other public mobile robots such as maintenance robots so why would the public works department in a city want a robot that sweeps the curb uh or or uh applies salt to a sidewalk if you have ice for example that's a very different why
2: Yes, yes. So, yes.
1: so um, and and companies like Starship and there's others, there's a security company, for example, uh, Knightsbridge, or there's another one, SMP, that make uh, surveillance uh, robots. Uh, one of them makes a robot that is able to uh, go through a parking lot and to identify which license plates have paid or not paid their their uh, parking fee or, or they've overstayed mm-hmm. their park and so on so you say well why does why does anybody want that one well that would be so we could you know we can manage parking better for example so there's there's actually very many whys yeah uh, I'm going to tell you a story that was I just heard a couple of hours ago and this is another why and this is with um, uh, this was with a police department and the And in this case, there was there was a robot. It's a a quadruped robot. You you spoke about a wheeled robot from Mm a starship. Well, there's there's uh, several companies, but there's one company called Boston Dynamics, which has a robot that is looks like a dog. It, It walks and acts like a dog. And in some cases, that robot has been used as a police assistant. And the story I had just heard as a as a, an incident that occurred is that there was um there was a a standoff between the police and a gunman. I believe this was in the States. Well, I'm sure this was in the States, but in any case, the uh police shot the person in, in the in the standoff, but they weren't sure if the whether the person was dead or wounded or Pretending to be wounded, and so it, there was it was, would have been a risky circumstance for the police to go in, and this is where this is where you get hurt. You go in, and you're not sure your 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 weapon is out, and then something moves, and then you shoot, and it, oh, you've just killed somebody that you shouldn't have because you were uh, so uh, uh, you know anxious to, to to remain safe. So what they did was they sent the dog in. Basically, it's a camera on legs
2: yeah yeah
1: people think people think oh it's like a dog that that understands and it's going to attack it's not it's a camera on legs It's actually being remotely operated so basically what was possible is they could get a camera close enough they actually saw the person was injured was unconscious they could go in safely without Mm. shooting anybody and they actually saved the man's life yeah Without that dog, or sorry, I see you. you I call it dog. without that robot, dog. yeah. It, it would have been, it would have been, you know, you know, we, I'm just saying it would have been possible or likely to have gone in shooting or 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 caused yet further harm, or maybe the person would have moved and would have been shot again. And so, the, the argument is that that robot saved that man's life. Mm man who was the was the was the shooter uh you won't know that because you you can't replay that story that story played the way it's played and that story is that the person survived so i i'm giving that as an extreme example of when you start to say why do we want these there's actually a lot of value for correctly deployed machines these are these are just machines yeah they're not thinking and 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 plotting and planning and escaping your control none of that's true this is all science fiction it's all from the journalists that are that are instilling fear in people and so forth these same not the same but a very similar um police robot was uh deployed in san francisco some while ago and again they they go in they they go into these Um, standoff circumstances where you don't want to send a human police, you don't want to send one of your officers in because you want to be protective of your officers, but you want to not harm the person that's in there. And so if you send a machine in and that machine gets shot, it doesn't matter. It's just a machine. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: There's no harm Mm -hmm. in that. But if you can get a camera and you can understand things, I mean, one of the the uses of this is you can send the machine in with very loud sounds that are actually above the pain threshold and you can disable somebody with sound without shooting them or harming them. Harms their hearing temporarily. But so there's so many other ways to disarm or disable uh, a violent circumstance without you know, without necessarily shooting and so on. So I'm all for that sort of thing. And Anyway, I'm sorry, I've gone down a little bit of a rat hole with this because I've just heard that story now, but uh, there's there's really a lot of reasons. And let's go back to Starship. Um, they have one of the cities they work in is a, is a city called Milton Keynes in, in the UK. And they have something on the order of 300. The last time I looked at it, there was very nearly 300 robots operating concurrently in that city or town. As far as I know it's the largest single um, fleet of delivery robots it's just delivery robots and here's one of the advantages and this was from a recording from somebody in the city this a person that either worked in in public works or they worked in the you know in the mayor's department I don't know but they were it was a city official that was responsible for this project and says they've done a study this was like two years ago or three years ago a majority of the trips of these robots were replacing car trips because the question is, are you replacing a walking trip? Are you replacing a bicycle trip? You're much better if you take a bicycle or if you walk from a health perspective, mm. then we send a robot while you sit on the couch eating potato chips. Mm. But they, the person that reported said a majority of these trips, and I don't know what majority means other than more than half, were replacing automotive trips, which is a, a huge net urban advantage if you can replace an automotive trip with a with one of these little robots for example
0: so yeah my my, um i have the view in my household my youngest daughter who's 21 she keeps the local delivery van guy very busy with her four online purchases every week so you know there's a lot of big vans truddling around neighborhoods all over the country here um because of that that sort of you know, high e-commerce demand here, you know, double digit. But but she's ordering
1: things. She's ordering books and clothes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: Starfleet is mostly, Starship, sorry, is mostly food. I don't say only, but there's a majority of food and groceries. The reason is if you order food and groceries, then you know, it's coming. I mean, if you're a student ordering lunch, yeah. You're waiting for it to arrive. You're going to be, why does that matter? Well, because these robots, the, all of these sort of food delivery robots, the intention is that you need to go down, you need to go to where that robot, like at the bottom of your stairs, because it can't climb stairs, as an example. And you need to use your smartphone and open up the door and take out your delivery and close the door. But you use your daughter's example. If your daughter's purchase like, clothing or a book or something like that. She's not necessarily like standing there waiting for that to arrive because maybe she ordered it Tuesday and it's now Thursday and maybe she's working or at school or somewhere else. And now the van, the delivery van is a human in it. And that person takes that whatever your daughter ordered and maybe puts it on your porch or whatever that delivery van does, unless you have to sign for it or something like that. But basically the, the, the food and grocery delivery, On a small uh, device is expecting you to come and you, the receiver, to come and actually physically take that package out. That's a huge limitation. It's a huge business limitation, by the
2: way. Yeah, yeah.
1: As you can see, so one of the companies that built one of these robots, um, uh, FedEx. I'm sure I I know you have FedEx uh, because it's in every country, and they built a they built a it's called a personal delivery robot or one of these um, uh, public area mobile robots. It was a little bit large. It was like, it was kind of a, a third of the size of a fridge. Uh, it was, I'm going to say two and a half, three times bigger than the Starship robot that you saw a few years ago. But FedEx is not in the business of bringing lunch to you. They're in, they're in the express delivery business and they're, they would bring a shipment from somewhere. They might bring goods, they ship from amazon for example but express delivery started out delivering envelopes and business packages and so forth and so an express delivery would have a person a human which would come up the elevator or up to your office or whatever and give the package to the receptionist and sign for it and leave so that that the structure of the the delivery the purpose and structure of that delivery is not the same as delivering food
2: it's Mm -hmm. just
1: no, I understand. It's a person bringing you lunch. A person bringing you books. So what? The person brought you something. It sounds the same. It's not the same if you don't have the receiver ready there to receive that 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 object, and you're expecting a human to mediate your absence and somehow put it in your mailbox or put it in between the door of your house. There is a human with, with a complex understanding, sort of some common sense about where to leave that package for you. These robots don't have that. And so uh, FedEx withdrew.
0: Yeah, yeah. I so, imagine, Bern, I imagine, you know, when I look at, if I sort of go back, you know, Uber and the e-scooters and sort of these changes came in some cases just overnight, but we've slowly seen cities respond. And I want to talk about cities and their readiness for this conversation let's just say having the conversation to start with yeah. um i i remember seeing the first mcdonald's store that started taking out a portion of their front counter and allocating it to uber eats pickup right so when the when the big players start redesigning their whether it be bricks and mortar or some part of the process you kind of know that this is kind of here now, um, yeah. so I, I'm imagining that things like that will slowly evolve. Those that design office blocks and residential apartments and condos and uh, townhouses, you know, there'll be front receptions, and we've seen those locker systems. You know, so we've already seen, so
1: it, yeah, it's the locker yeah, we've, system.
0: All, that that that's right. So we've seen kind of subtle hints and changes. I I. I think I'd be confident in saying, at least here in Australia, I haven't necessarily seen any cities take a lead on proactively engaging around public area mobile robots. We have a very strong history, and I think we do generally public realm design quite well. Um, We have those struggles like any big growing country around... You know, trying to manage vehicle vehicle use and the curbside is becoming more and more challenging. Whether it's you know rideshare, whether it's um, you know courier vans picking and dropping off, uh, we got e-scooters. You know, that are being parked on sidewalks. Um, I work in the digital infrastructure business. You know, we we have we have lighting, we have telecommunications, we have utilities. Um, We've got to fit in cars. We've got to have shopfronts and economic development. Uh, The public realm, our streets in particular, are highly contested. A lot is going on. And I think public area mobile robots are probably the last thing that are on the minds of municipalities. The question, what what does readiness look like when it comes to PMRs?
1: Well, what we're defining as readiness is, at the very beginning, understanding all the things that they can do, uh, all of the barriers, uh, and there's lots of barriers. I think you just listed uh, several of them. The understanding that whatever infrastructure you have now, in any whatever the city is, there will be some areas for which public air mobile robots are absolutely inappropriate they just they it wouldn't go there i have a, an area where i live and there are no sidewalks in this particular area it's an area that was built at a time when like why would you walk don't you have a car what's your mm. problem mm. and so yeah. that area is that that and and the city of toronto has lots of places with no sidewalk so either these robots would then have to go out on the roadway in fact in fact if i if i walk along that street i have to walk in the roadway and so, there's going to be areas that are completely inappropriate. Then there's going to be areas where they would work quite nicely. And there was a uh, a delivery robot company in Toronto a couple of years ago, and they were servicing uh, they were servicing a little bit around the, the university campus, which is a, a, a more open and slightly more structured space. And they also uh, were in a couple of areas downtown where there was a couple of wide sidewalks and they weren't going far. They're just, they're delivering the next four or six blocks. So it's very, very localized. And so they fit in these little pockets. So readiness is, first of all, where can this actually go? The second part of readiness is how do you want to set up in these areas? Here's another example. These devices, not all of them, but almost all of them have no way of crossing a a crosswalk if they don't get the walk sign. So if you're at an intersection, you're downtown with enough density to serve, you know, to bring food to people that live in this downtown area. Well, then you need to use the walk signal crossing the intersection. If you can't push the button, sometimes you need a button, not every intersection. You have to push the button, but in some intersections, you have to push the button to get the walk signal. You can't push that button, so you have to wait until... Pedestrian happens by, yeah, or or you rely and some have done this you rely on the green signal for the car, even though the walk signal says don't walk, you rely on the green signal. That's a problem because now people are saying, I'm I have the green signal, I see, I'm, I'm a driver, I see the green signal, I see the no walk signal. I'm going to make a right-hand turn because there's nobody, there's no pedestrian because I didn't see the robot. And so there have been robots that hit on right, right turns on red, for example, because of this lighting problem. So part of readiness is asking, where are you going to allow them to go? Are you going to allow them to cross the intersection? And if you're going to allow them to cross the intersection, you have to have some way to turn that to turn that light. So as an example, there's a company in Austria, Um I don't know if they operate in in um uh in Australia or not but the company is called Swarco and they have worked out the ability to um have a signal coming from the robot so the robot asks its operator I'm I'm at this certain corner I'd like to walk signal and that operator has a connection to the to the traffic management system and gives gives the robot the walk signal you don't see anything i mean just the robot just got the walk signal but they did that by asking yeah. for it yeah and that's that's part of that's part of this um we call it um uh this autonomous vehicle <coughs> connected vehicle technology but from um a, a standard called the sae standard that that uh the society for automotive engineering uh has created a set of standards for. How does it, How does an automated vehicle that approaches the intersection? How does it know that the light is going to change, or, or that you know it's going to it's going to it's going to uh, become green shortly, so it, that the car can mediate its speed because it understands what's going to happen. And so you hear you hear about traffic being smoothed out and and you know less contentious because of these signals. Well, we can use those signals to, to cross robots as well. So now, is your so basically where are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. is your is your is, is your infrastructure wide enough for that because it turns out that you you're you know if your infrastructure is not wide enough or your shopkeepers are putting out their sandwich boards and putting out their garbage so i have i have other streets in my area and this is a very common in many cities on garbage day the garbage bins go out on like on the curb like on the sidewalk And if you are a pedestrian, you you have to walk around, you have to go out to the street to walk around the garbage cans, or you have to walk up on the lawns, well, you're not, so it would not work to have robots operating in that. It also doesn't work, by the way, if you're in a wheelchair. Yeah. If you're in a wheelchair, you have to go out on garbage day, you are at a tremendous disadvantage. And, And that brings up another subject, and that is that the world of using a wheelchair and the world of using a robot has very very similar infrastructural problems. And so we advocate collaboration amongst the accessibility community and the robotic community. so let's make sure that the infrastructure that we do have is optimized for both wheelchairs and robots. And let's I'm, I'm going to use the word lobby, but let's let's get let's get more active transportation space.
2: Of mm-hmm. course,
1: you know where that comes from. If you're going to have more active transport, if you're going to have wider bike lanes and wider sidewalks, where's where's that? Where that's going to come from? If it's going to come from all those roadways that have two lanes in each direction. You're going to you're going to take. Well, that's the conflict. So the so the, the conflict could be between scooters and robots, but maybe the conflict's going to be between small electric things and 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 bikes and walking and the automobile. So where where because there's multiple. There's multiple conflictual interfaces. Yeah, and I'm I'm personally an advocate for for wider spaces for slow, quiet electric things, and including you know whether it's a scooter or whether it's a e bike or whether it's walking. I know walking is not electric. I understand that, but small, quiet things as opposed to great big trucks and cars. And and if we're gonna if we're gonna go towards cities that have calmer or slower or you know less motor vehicles. We're going to, we need these other vehicles. In other words, if you don't want to have a big van, you you mentioned um uh a family member getting a getting um uh shipments from a van each week if you want to have fewer of those in your neighborhood then we're gonna to need to bring them in for example maybe a cargo bike
2: mm. so
1: here in my city uh, again go back to the, the company FedEx I saw Yesterday, and again, the first time I saw it was about three and a half, four years ago, FedEx has a cargo bike. Now, this is a this is a, a a bicycle with three, two wheels on the back, one in the front, a person on pedal. I'm sure it was electrified. And there was a cart. I'm sure the cart held 20 deliveries or something like it wasn't a van that holds 150 deliveries, but it could hold 20 deliveries for the neighborhood. So it could be filled up and then a person basically is going from house to house on this bike. it's quiet, electric, small and it would be endangered it can't use the lane it has to it has to go on the shoulder or it has to go on the pavement and so on. We actually refer to those as the gateway technology to robots yeah why because if you have a large van that does, that loads up in the morning at 4 a.m and it goes out all day long delivering 150 200 items, uh in its root now you need to split that down into four um you know cargo bikes because you can't carry that much in a cargo bike if you do that then you you change the way you package the, the way you organize your your loading of these devices and you have more employees the 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 job is different so, so, so people are saying oh these new technologies take jobs away well in that case they add jobs
2: yeah yeah but i but
1: they're but they can do. But they can move a lot more quickly. So that that one van takes all day to move yeah. these hundred fifty. But those 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 three or four uh, cargo bikes can do can do it a lot more quickly because they can move more, much
0: more. Yeah. Quickly. So, so yeah. So, yeah. But, anyway. You know, there's, there's so many moving parts to this, and it's not just a technology exactly. and a robotics issue. It's an economic development issue. It's a public realm design issue. Um, Absolutely. Where we we could keep going. Thus, the. In my view, need for readiness to be kind of you know top top of mind sooner rather than later, and probably my last question, Burn, um, and I'll, I'll I'll sort of disclose this. I'm a big fan of standards. I I, I love the idea that um, a community, an industry, a sector has come together to define what good looks like, and then we embrace that we get on the same page and we can then sort of thrive and create opportunities. And, uh, I stumbled upon, um, a standard, uh, and I, and I'd imagine sort of one of many in an ecosystem, but, you know, we, we are seeing a global standard emerge for, for this topic, which warmed my heart. Um, can you share just finally a few notes around um standards best practice and further guidance um yep. on this topic because i'm imma- i'm imagining there's going to be people listening to this that are going okay i need to i need to brush up on this a little bit um and yes i've listened to the podcast um but you know what else is out there that you know maybe is sort of you know a a better north star than just you and i sort of rambling on one morning
1: (laughs) well there there are a number of standards um first of all there's safety standards which um are about robotics and a lot of those is about factory robotics fixed robotics or or mobile robotics in uh, on farms and factories and so forth. There are um, a few safety standards for social robots as well. These are robots that might work in hospitals or in old age homes and that sort of thing. There's cybersecurity standards which are in general whether it's a robot or not. There's a lot of those. There's privacy standards uh, that are uh, that apply to robots and so forth. So all of those sort of standards that have been around for a while and are are, are, or not terribly different for these robots are what's missing from that group of standards is a set of what we call behavioral or orchestration standards in other words um you know you can have a safety standard for the brakes on on a on a scooter or the diameter of the wheel and that sort of thing you can have standards for those sorts of things but that wouldn't apply to a robot uh, in ter- necessarily in terms of uh, of its its construction or its mostly its behavior. Uh, so that we recognized that was missing, we recognized back 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 in uh, 2019, and uh, I approached the ISO with the idea of writing a set of behavioral standards. How does the how how should a robot behave? Uh, and it really just, it just, it started out just with that, just how does it behave on the, on the sidewalk or how does it give way to other humans and how loud can it be or how quiet can it be? As an example, you don't want to have a a robot sneaking up behind you so quietly that when it does pass you, it alarms you Mm. uh, for instance. So all of those things were in the early and that grew, that grew to, to, um, for example, uh, and this, this wasn't understood until last year is that it's not okay for a robot to be lost. They say, how does it get lost? Well, it's communicating with its home base or its fleet operator. And there is a cellular outage. Yeah. And it's it's communicating by cell. And it doesn't know that it's moving along. And now the, the, the home base or the operator has lost contact with it. And in fact, the robot's now lost contact. Maybe it's lost its map, or so because maybe it's getting updates from the and it's lost those updates. So it's actually possible for a robot to be lost. And that's not okay because now you're not sure. Was it like it's lost and it's innocent, or was it commandeered by some? You know, how why is it lost? And let's say now it it now gets into a mishap in an intersection, and you don't know, you've lost your robot, and now the robot just got hit by somebody turning right on red. Yeah. So now you have a lost robot that's now in that's now caused a social problem because it's been damaged in the intersection, and you don't even know that. And so these are not the things that we think about when we first design these machines. But that's there's actually the standards actually designed so that you can't lose a robot. and it's, yeah. it's just done with breadcrumbs. It's not surprising if you if you if you if you know about navigation and all that sort of thing. It's just done with breadcrumbs, and it's very very simple there's constant communication is within within a couple of seconds of that communication going out, the robot has to stop. So it has to identify itself every fi- every couple of meters, it depends on how open or crowded the space is. The city decides that the city says, okay, five meters in our city. It identifies where it's, it identifies where it's at. And as soon as it can identify that, the robot is forced to halt. So if you, if you're the operator and you've lost contract contact with your robot, you know it's within five meters of where you last saw it and you'll you'll find it i mean five meters is nothing you will find your robot Mm. as an so i just give that as an example of something that's like you know these are not the kinds of things that we put and there's hundreds and hundreds of things like this in the standard it's it's just there's so many little things like this each one is a simple thing like that's what i just told you that's a no-brainer once you once you tick the box the the manufacturers can do that easily the, the, the operators can put the system together to keep track of the robots so you say well that's not a big deal there's hundreds of things like that that have to be in place I and mean, that's an advanced readiness thing that's not yeah. you know that's not that's not your first day out of the gate you're not going to worry about that you're just trying three robots to see if they can put salt on the sidewalk and you're going to have your you're going to have your public works person with them and following <laughs> so you're not worried but go ahead eight years from now when you have a fleet of thirty of them doing things like that, you need to know where all thirty are. It's not okay for you to have to know where twenty eight of your thirty robots are. If you're the pub you know, you're the public works department and you've just lost two of your robots.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: unworkable. yeah. and so all that has to be in place. and so when you when you ask about readiness, so the city needs to say, and that's why that's why the uh, I'm writing a guidebook with a huge checklist of all the things that you have to make sure are in place. Again, that's advanced readiness. That's after a couple of years of of, of seeing what these are. But that's all in front of us, uh, so that if you're going to start now, you're going to start next year getting a couple of delivery robots or or a, whatever a, a police robot or something. You've opened up the gates to more and more robots later. More fleets from more operators doing more things. So now it's 15 years from now, and you have 20 different providers of a total of 900 robots doing 30 different kinds of things at different times and seasons and so on. That has to be managed.
0: Mm. And Mm.
1: that that requires an orchestration system. Those don't exist.
0: All the while, all the while, more e-scooters, delivery sidewalk cafe, uh, right. digital kiosks, electric vehicle charging, you know, like the-
1: exactly. exactly. <laughs>
0: like, so so- I,
1: I've been, I've been asked to include all these things. And I said, no, yeah. there's just no way you can do that. So basically yeah. what I want to do is that if you have robots from multiple operators, multiple purposes, multiple tasks in your region, whatever your region is, it's like a little downtown area. It's, it's a whole, the greater, you know, it's the greater Melbourne area, whatever that is, you define that all the robots, that are in that space have to be where they are understood. They have to be identifiable. You can't have rogue robots. So, you know, basically, the standard takes takes us out forty years because we're, we're pushing we're pushing the horizon of understanding what these will bring out quite a distance. Now that I've alarmed all the listeners, <laughs> that's not what happens on year one. On year yeah. one, way way back to the beginning. All I'm warning you is you can't just say, okay, we're going to have five robots delivering pizza and that's it. That's, that's not going to happen with that is you're going to, you're going to do that and then you're going to abandon them.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: as, As soon as you realize, wait a minute, there's a lot of other issues here. So I, I want cities to be, to be, to understand what these other issues are early on. It's not a, it's not a huge big deal, but just start to understand what's on the horizon Say okay, I get that there's going to be other stages and steps. I see what some of them are. Okay, let's try out something. And I recommend that people try out maintenance activities. Why? Because we have some in some cities we have shortage of labor, and we have you know in my city we we can't keep up with the street cleaning quickly enough because we just don't we just don't have the budgets for it. For example, and so can that be, can that be automated in a way that we, you know, we can, we can keep things cleaner and, and, and and safe, same with salting the sidewalk. Um, So that's why I recommend maintenance because it's a, it's a direct advantage to the city and the citizens that live there say, okay, I understand this robots cleaning or salting or making me safer or surveilling, or I understand why they're out there. I find that more acceptable than these constant, uh, the robots that are, that are not serving me and, and, uh, and occupying the space on the sidewalk. Anyway, that's, that's, that's why I recommend uh, maintenance approaches first.
0: Yeah. Um, Burn, I've, I've found the URF's website to just be a, a treasure trove of resources and webinars and information. And I'd certainly encourage our listeners to head to urbanroboticsfoundation.org to find out more um and you've just hinted there that there's more guidance coming um with a bit of a guide uh, early next year so I certainly encourage people to to get on your subscription list and and uh, as a minimum keep a watching brief on this and um of course you know um educate themselves and and engage appropriately and ideally maybe proactively uh, in, engage somewhat so it's been a pleasure talking to you I feel there's 30 chapters of a conversation we're still yet to have but let's uh, let's certainly keep in touch but really uh, thank you for your time today for sharing a fascinating topic in our public realm that I think is 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 highly topical and um, you know really interesting and exciting as well so thanks so much for your time
1: thank you so much as well take care everybody
0: well we hope you like this episode of urban life enabled Remember, if you'd like to subscribe, head to your favourite podcast platform. You'll find us there. Just search for Urban Life Enabled. You can also head along to our website to listen to all of our episodes and also find out more information about Life Enabled. Just head to the website lifeenabled.com. There's a hyphen between Life and Enabled. Thanks for joining us.